Hello and welcome to an informed live radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and we've got two hours lined up of really important conversation. Going to try to touch base on um, many of the things happening now that you need to be informed about in order to make informed decisions. I'm going to begin today with something you may have heard me play before, and I hope you don't mind me playing it again, but it's so important. I'm going to be playing you the uh, about five minutes about what you need to do to prepare yourself um, for this latest round of COVID going on here. So let me just get this started for you. These are the founding physicians of the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance. They convened to develop highly effective treatment protocols to prevent the transmission of COVID-19 and to improve the outcomes for patients ill with the disease. Today, they want you to know how to prevent COVID-19, even against the variants. This is the molecule of ivermectin, the medicine that can end the pandemic. Ivermectin was discovered and developed in 1975 in Japan by Dr. Satoshi Amura and Dr. William Campbell. In 2015, Drs. Amura and Campbell each received the Nobel Prize in Medicine for Ivermectin's discovery. They deserved it. The medicine has brought relief and saved the lives of millions across the globe for nearly 40 years. Ivermectin was first used in humans in 1987 for the treatment of parasitic diseases. It has eradicated pandemics of numerous diseases for four decades. Plus, for nearly 40 years, it has been given safely across the world nearly four billion times. Ivermectin is on the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines. It has been deemed to be one of the safest medicines known to mankind. But this workhorse of a drug is not yet finished. In the past eight months, numerous controlled clinical trials are reporting consistent, large improvements in COVID-19 patient outcomes when treated with ivermectin. People treated with ivermectin experience numerous clinical benefits. Fewer infections, reduced inflammatory markers, more rapid improvement, more rapid viral clearance, shorter hospitalization, and a reduction in mortality. As you can see, ivermectin has been very well studied across the world. In fact, the amount of scientific medical evidence is mountainous. As of July 16, 2021, 60 clinical studies, including 30 randomized controlled trials, have evaluated the role of ivermectin in the treatment or prevention of COVID-19. Here's how it works. Ivermectin inhibits the replication of many viruses, including SARS-CoV-2, influenza, and others. 
Ivermectin has potent anti-inflammatory properties with multiple mechanisms of action. Ivermectin diminishes viral load and protects against organ damage in animal models of SARS-CoV-2 infection. It prevents transmission of COVID-19 when taken either pre- or post-exposure. It hastens recovery and decreases hospitalization and mortality in patients with COVID-19. And it leads to far lower case fatality rates in regions with widespread use. Then, when ivermectin is used with the additional components in the FLCCC Alliance's iMask Plus protocol, it can work even better in preventing COVID-19. So here is what the FLCCC Critical Care Physician Team recommends. Just like you keep a first aid kit around the house, please start keeping a just-in-case COVID kit. Here is what the kit contains. Ivermectin, vitamin D3, vitamin C, quercetin, zinc, melatonin, and gargle or mouthwash. You can find our iMask Plus protocol plus all of our prevention and treatment protocols at flccc.net. We wish you a lifetime of good health. So that is the wonderful, um, oops, there we go. There's the FLCCC. I love how for more than a year, um, they have been staying up to date on, on COVID, on the changes, looking to the shelf that they have at their disposal, seeing what new things to bring on, staying completely up to date, informing the public. Um, if I encourage people to go to flccc.net and on their homepage, sign up to get a link to their weekly webinar every Wednesday, 4 p.m. Pacific, so 7 p.m. Eastern, and they'll get you, they'll talk up to date, they'll answer questions. It's really fantastic. Um, one of the things that I find very frustrating is that we've got these brilliant critical care, pulmonary care specialists who have found um, treatments that prevent um, infection, that that can, if given early, prevent severe and critical disease, and that even can help recover at the critical stage. And yet standard of care in hospitals across this nation are still don't do anything until somebody needs to be hospitalized and then put them on a drug that does not work and then vent them, which is um, has proven to be fatal. We really need some changes here. And so I've got two of my favorite people in the world joining me today to talk about this um, and, and so much else that's going on. So I've got um, from here in Washington State, Javier Figueroa, who is a PhD. Um, it, what's your PhD in, Javier? It's a neurobiology. That is correct. Yeah. And um, he also knows a lot about hyperbaric oxygen and, and a, a, a lot of things. Very knowledgeable uh, gentleman. And he also happens to know in the crazy world, way the world is connected. My other guest, Dr. Ted Fogarty, activate your mic there for me. Um, Dr. Ted, I see you're on mute. Um, and Dr. Ted is a radiologist. You're still in North Dakota right now, right? Yeah, on my way to Nebraska. 
on your way to Nebraska. And, uh, you know, he's an HBOT expert and he's my glutathione go-to guy, mitochondrial energy. Um, and, and they know each other from the world of HBOT, which is very exciting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, how about, uh, Javier, I'll start with you. That video that you just saw, what do you think? Do you have any audition, uh, additions to it or comments? Or what are you thinking about what the FLCCC is advising? I think that, you know, the prophylactic uh, treatment, uh, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure uh, mm -hmm. attitude is great. And the fact that they are, um, you know, being proactive and treating their patients as if their lives mattered is, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the actual way that I think most physicians that take their oath seriously uh, should behave uh, towards their patients. And of course, you know, now that uh, we have these great drugs for people that uh, have gone through COVID and are recovering, uh, I think that now there's, a, uh, you know, th the use of hyperbarics as a, uh, as a recovery tool, uh, along with other known, well-accepted uh, recovery tools, I think mm -hmm. are going to be a powerful addition to get people back to where they need to be. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much. What about you, Dr. Ted? What's going on? What do you think? Well, I, um, Javier and I are brothers of the same physics and biology understanding and how the laws of thermodynamics work on a quantum level level for all of our all of our uh, reversal of entropy and uh explain the term to my listeners reversal of entropy okay well so we're going to get into a little spiritual physics here then <laughs> okay cool so um Chaos is, of course, you know, from the biblical sense, God has ordered chaos. And from the physics realm and discipline, chaos is entropy. So entropy is the concept that even all ordered states, uh, biological systems, physical systems have a decay constant have have a constant fight against increasing chaos or disorder in the system and that is what entropy is and so we need energy inputs we are vessels our souls our bodies are vessels seeking to reverse entropy at every unit of time on our our existence on this planet and our our biggest engines of reversal of entropy are our mitochondria. Okay. So, so I practice mitochondrial medicine. Yeah. But I'm cloaked like Batman <laughs> with all my fun toys in imaging. Okay. So it, it would I be correct in sort of understanding it in my own language? is that, I mean, life is all about continual change. And, and we, we're always, all life is always struggling between surviving now and yet changing to, to the inevitable something else to come. Stability really is an illusion, right? What did, did I hear something? Oh, I've got a problematic time clock on this computer. Oh, okay. <laughs> that announces the time every 15 minutes because as a radiologist, I have ADHD. I cannot, I can only sit on a film 
that I'm reading in the middle of the night uh, in an ICU for about 15 minutes before the ER docs are going to start calling. So I, I, I literally have a 15 minute chime on this, on this. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so we're in this, in this, in this flux of change of chaos of life always in turmoil and yet somehow finding, thriving, balancing, and we need these energy inputs. So how does that need for energy inputs relate to maintaining health and treating disease? Well, I'm not the real scientist here. That's Javier. <laughs> so I'm going to let him take that one. Okay. Unless you want me to do my cowboy physics on it. I love, you know what? Your cowboy physics beats the beats the poop out of my uh, every tower uh, physics. Okay. I want to hear both. How about how about Javier? You give us the ivory tower, and then let's hear it in cowboy terms after. Love All it. right. So right now, uh, you know, each of our cells, except for very few uh, cells like red blood cells, we all have mitochondria in them, and the mitochondria are what uh, provide the bulk of the energy that we use uh, in the form of ATP. But uh, it's not just uh, ATP that is driving the, uh, the ordering of the cell or driving the power of the cell. It also has an effect on the uh, water in the cells that also arranges and provides the structure and also the, reduces the, the, the entropy associated with everything that's going on. So the mitochondria are really the master drivers of the, uh, of the cells. And they work in coordination. It's just amazing to think that we have billions upon billions of cells mm -hmm. and they know how to use the energy, when to use the energy in a coordinated fashion to produce the state that we call life. And that wow. just blows me away to just yeah. to think about that. And it's something that, you know, we don't have the technology, the ability to model it effectively to say we know how it works in coordination. Yeah, and that I think that's what's most frightening about some of the scientific medical interventions that are undertaken because th since they don't know the complete picture and they start meddling um i get very concerned <laughs> with you they don't know what they're messing with yeah so okay let's hear hey, the now, cowboy I version i gotta <laughs> stick up for some of my doctor colleagues here we've saved a lot of lives especially in the world of trauma yes we, we do know how to do we, we we know how to do a lot of things well it's just that when you when you get down to uh, the 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 nitty gritty in in uh, in our human world, uh, we we live in a series of racketeering schemes. Yeah, oh yeah, you got that right. <laughs> it's just it's nested subsets of racketeering schemes enveloped one to another. Yeah, um, and so. The laws of thermodynamics also kind of go under nested subsets <laughs> from one vessel to another, but we can save yeah. that discourse for a different day. Yeah. Well, I, I look at it. I discovered a few years ago, it, it, for a while, I couldn't figure out why the insurance companies wouldn't be encouraging things that actually led to long-term good health, you know, supporting well, different things. And then I realized that insurance exists own, big insurance exists so that big medicine can exist so that big pharma can exist because nobody would pay $3,000 out of pocket for, for a medicine. 
you need insurance for big pharma and nobody could afford a million dollar week long stay at the hospital. You need insurance for big medicine. And so then I realized everything's being treated as an industry as medicine to support each other. And somewhere along the line, the actual patient sort of got kicked out of the equation. Yeah. Or, you know, but there's good people like you, Dr. Ted, working in medicine. Yes. So you here's, guys are all where, caught up in a corrupt system. Here's where being a lawyer for thermodynamics, who's the son and grandson of two uh, Nebraska attorneys, comes in to kind of work this right back down to the, the energy cycle. But ima imagine, um, imagine if we, if we had to carry insurance, uh, legal insurance to leave our homes. And it's a scary thought, but actually that might be coming soon. Jeez. It's like, uh, yeah, no, you have to pay these, these, these insurance brokerages so that, you know, when you get sued or when you're in any kind of le your legal health is threatened, you know, now you, now you have paid into this big system, shared system so that you can go, you can go sue the big guys. I mean, that there's a side of me that's like, you know, it'd be great if the little guys had a big insurance system. So we could go sue these big guys because then they wouldn't get away with all this stuff. But anyway, back to, back to ener cellular energetics and, uh, and the ever-changing states of life, you know, um, Javier is talking about ATP, but uh, that's, that's, that is the, that is the big energy molecule, but the transmission molecule that is going on in a lot of our, our genomics that are coming from the energy cycle from mitochondria itself. You have the oxygen going to the mitochondria, getting processed, that reactive oxygen species and all that whole process actually helps increase ATP, which is also another signal with the oxygen going up in concentration to increase your glutathione levels. So the intracellular glutathione levels act as kind of like a bank account for the ATP energy. And then when your glutathione levels are, are increasing and specific to COVID and Tony Fauci proved this in 1991, when your glutathione levels go up, there's 140 to 150 different things that are going on. But one is that the glutathione acts like a, rivet, a riveting molecule for your antibodies and all your protein folding. It, the, these sulfur-sulfur double bonds, a lot of them are coming through between two different protein chains. And it's the glutathione that is needed to actually rivet those antibodies together, whether it's from a vaccine or from your natural immunity, which is, of course, far superior to any vaccine that's ever been made. But also, in 1991, Tony Fauci, our tax dollars, proved the reverse transcriptase is downregulated with every increased molecule of intracellular glutathione. Can you so put you that in cowboy um, terms? <laughs> and you can't run any of this viral machinery yeah. off of reverse transcriptase. And okay. it's that simple. This is like, it's like gearhead. Like I tell the, the farmers out here in North Dakota, this is yeah. how this all works. Yeah. So explain, though, to our listeners who some of these, the terminology is very new to them, what reverse transcriptase is. And first, okay, first so, let's define glutathione for the um, average person. Glutathione should be a, a bigger household word than glucose and oxygen, because it is in the it's in the key part of everything that goes on in every single cell on this planet that has anything to do with oxygen, including the plants. Mm -hmm. 
Plant cells have tons of glutathione to protect themselves from the waste product of photosynthesis, which is oxygen. And in being terrestrial beings and in the whole evolutionary cycle between cyanobacteria and algae and, and plants and animals, you know, this incredible economic system came out of cells deciding or being encouraged by God or being driven through evolution into using the electron clouds of oxygen to create 16 molecules of ATP with oxygen processed through mitochondria versus only one if you're just going to do kind of like the old diesel engine version of cellular energy, which is anaerobic metabolism. So glutathione is something that our bodies manufacture and that is absolutely essential for healthy cells. Is that yeah. and, and, and healthy just, immune system? Okay. It's just a trinity of three amino acids. Okay. And um, my understanding of it is that you, you know, we get it from three amino acids that are typically in food, but many aspects of life deplete our levels of glutathione. So right. keeping those levels up is important. And one of the things that depletes glutathione massively is a viral infection. So if you're not feeding your body in a way that can replace that glutathione being used, it makes recovery more difficult. Is that your understanding of it? Okay. Yeah. Good, good. Okay. So then um, that was glutathione. What was the other thing I asked you to re reverse transcriptase? Is that yes. what I asked you to? Okay. okay. So everybody knows now that the, I guess the one thing that as a scientist, physician scientist, um, you know, I did molecular genetics at the University of Chicago as an undergrad, but the one thing that has been encouraging about this pandemic is that we have a now a scientific intelligence quotient factor that has skyrocketed among American uh, health consumers and average uh, Joe and Jane's. And so when you, when you, when everybody knows now what PCR stands for and okay, pol pol polymerase chain reaction, right? People have heard that acronym and it's actually RT-PCR. It's reverse transcriptase that is the enzyme that was brought into the biotech world to say, hey, wait, we can, we can reverse transcribe. We can take the mirror image of this DNA or RNA molecule, and we can, we can write it in the, in the obverse opposite way. And we can create gene segments from that. And then we can, we can go out and, you know, when, when um, Gary Mullins, Carrie, is it Carrie Mullins? Yeah. Yeah, Carrie Mullins. Carrie Mullins got the Nobel Prize in like 1991 for, for basically envisioning this whole process. He, he came up with this gearhead idea of how do, we, how do we just replicate genes, the genes we want to, and, and develop PCR technology. And so, so but how that's does your actually body... what the viruses are doing. Okay, that's the that's viruses what I... are PCR PCR ancient PCR technology in okay. our own in our own cells self-replicating the genes that they want self-replicated, and so this one protein is the Achilles heel, and if you if you knew, and I'm going to get real political now, if you knew as a physician in the United States of America 
and your name is Tony Fauci, MD, <laughs> that you could shut off reverse transcriptase in 1991 with the tax dollars my my grandparents paid and parents and my, myself and everybody else listening to us, we mm -hmm. all paid for this knowledge. This has been 30 years known. Mm -hmm. This one RNA Achilles heel of HIV, Zika, dengue, Ebola, Corona, influenza. Okay. You shut that one enzyme down. We don't need all these vaccines. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you're saying that glutathione, which your body makes, and if you are an adequate, adequate supply, if you are exposed to this virus and it comes on board, you're, you've got the magic key to shut down its ability to replicate and stop the process of infection. Is that basically I've heard that? What the what? Fogarty? What's your degree in again? <laughs> I, I'm just trying to make sure it, you know, our audience can understand yeah, um, what you're saying time for the audience, because you're articulating this extremely well. And I believe you are a language expert. <laughs> no, <laughs> I have had a couple of years Ted, of trying to decipher you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so we, we, I guess I'll, if I say it again, I'll probably mess it up this time, but, but basically if we have glutathione on board, something our bodies make, and if we give it the building blocks that it needs through food or supplementation, if we get exposed to certain viruses, we've got the magic key to shut down their ability to replicate and keep them from, um, you know, either making us sick or making us severely sick. It depends on, I guess, um, how, at, if you've got enough glutathione on board, sounds like you might not even allow the infection process to happen if you can get on board quickly. And especially if you've got good, like um, nasal mucosa and all that stuff going on to, to block the virus from entering at that, that stage. I mean, you end up with glutathione everywhere, right? Do you, is it, is it in the mucus too? I mean, where does glutathione, is it, where is it located? Is it in, in the cells? Is it in bodily fluids? Where is it? It's everywhere. And I'm everywhere. inhaling it right now. <laughs> yeah. So he's got like, you got a nebulizer there or, um, oh, cool. He it's just a food grade bartending kit with a bunch of very fine powder from the pharmaceutical grade product that is patented in Canada under CA 296-3131. Mm -hmm. which is Dr. Albert Crumb's formulation of Proimmune 200, mm -hmm. which is simply every, every constituent of glutathione that you'd need. I'm directly feeding my nasal respiratory epithelium. Okay. So for right our now, radio. You on air and this yeah. <laughs> little amount of intranasal wow. okay. glutathione amino acid precursors. I've been using this all over North Dakota and Nebraska. Yeah. And a little bit in South Dakota. Cool. To stop COVID. Wow. Right in the nose. Okay. Period so he, he's got a powder that's a mix of the three amino acids that make up glutathione, um, that the, the building blocks your body needs. And you can, those are commercially available. You can order them, mix them up. And then he's got them in this bodily shaking and squeeze it. And you can see a little puff. This is for our radio listeners here. You can see a little puff that he's kind of inhaling. It goes right into the nose and down into the lungs. Um, and yeah, yeah. It's, it's like all the incense. 
It's, oh, it's, it's like, like it's like an incense. Yeah. It's, except it's better. I told the Pope's medical team because of yeah. his bad lungs in the Vatican. Yeah. You need to switch from that dirty, sooty incense and start using this stuff. There we go. Yeah. And then the Sistine Chapel. Yeah. And I'm yeah. talking about C Y S T I N E. The Sistine oh, yeah. Chapel. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love the it. The Sistine so, Chapel of God's creation yeah. is the human body. Oh, Hello. my God. Michelangelo got it wrong. Okay. He's like painting all these fancy pictures. No. Okay. Yeah. So for, for those who don't quite know, he was, uh, Dr. Ted there was spelling out instead of the Sistine Chapel, which is, you know, in Rome, but he was spelling the word Sistine, which is one of the uh, amino acid proteins you need to make glutathione. I, that's a great, <laughs> I love that. So yeah, so you and I have been talking about this, Ted, and then and Javier too, a little bit uh, later for you know a year and a half going on two years now, how important this is. So um, um, in our COVID kit, um, definitely people need these precursors. And, and then you also, you got a CARES Act grant and you yeah. created this fantastic formula that you call um, something. I call it it's, Fogarty's formula, but what do you call uh, it? Yeah, well, Trent Lewis likes to call it the purple powder. The purple powder, yeah. I like to call it NDC19MCM, as in the North Dakota naturopathic medical countermeasures for yeah. COVID-19. Yeah, and we've um, got that recipe um, on our website. I'm going to have to put it um, up again to make it rise to the to the top of things. It's on the radio show page of when you first gave the formula. But just tell people the the ingredients of this and then how they they take it. I will, but I want to I want to put some important information into the supply chain issues with ivermectin right now because okay, um, I literally was writing a bunch of scripts for ivermectin. Mm -hmm. up here in, in North Dakota. And um, we, our local pharmacist has, is, is, has run dry. He's out now. And he's not being able to get wow. any human tablet version ivermectin right now. That's, that, is it because of demand or is there some nefarious force stopping it? It's, it's both. both. Okay. You know, if you watch the media right now, uh, th there's ER docs and hospital systems and all these people are starting to say, well, we've got all these poison control calls for ivermectin poisoning. And, you know, that may be true. I don't know. But the point is, is that, again, the racket is coming in here now. At first, it was hydrochloroquine. Yeah. And, and you know, like for whatever reason, Tony Fauci, didn't tell everyone to, in healthcare, in healthcare where we have IV formulations called mucamist and acetidote to rescue livers, mm -hmm. we are rescuing livers and people with despair, killing themselves with Tylenol overdoses mm -hmm. with N-acetylcysteine IV. And mm -hmm. my, my partner in my startup clinic out in Iowa, Brad Meyer, saved the life of a real estate agent he was about to put onto the uh on a ventilator in uh northwest iowa um and he called me and he's like i want to give her ivermectin and i said you're going to be fired immediately and he's like so what do i do i'm like do what we do in radiology and pulmonary and emergency medicine and just give an quote-unquote off-label used to protect 
your patient's lungs. And so mucamus or NAC cysteine, and it's actually cysteine, is, it's got an E-I-N um, or I-N. Um, cysteine is, um, has been used for decades to protect the children with cystic fibrosis in this country, who I'm reading films on for the last 20 years here in Bismarck, who were supposed to be dead by 30, and they're now living into their 50s and 60s because they've been taking this one most incredible immunological and cellular nutrient called cysteine. Mm -hmm. NAC is the generic name that you can find on the shelves still, but Tony Fauci and every, everyone else in medicine in the racket is trying to get this all, all this stuff pulled off. And now mm -hmm. Dick Durbin, a Democratic Illinois senator, is trying to make it so that nobody can actually sell you or give you a supplement unless you have a prescription from a physician. Oh, and if horrible. that isn't the most ridiculous idea ever, because none of these doctors even know anything about the yeah. human body outside of their, their toxic drug compounds. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've been in medical education for 17 years up here and I'm fighting against this machine of, oh, well you use this. And it's like, and we don't really care. We don't have time to tell you why and how it works pharmacologically and what the pharmacokinetics are anyway, just, this is what you use for this disease. It's this drug. And then when we come out with the next, you know, second wave of that version mm -hmm. and third wave, then we just switch over to that. And it's like, but, but these kids don't even know what, how mitochondria work. They don't even know what the word glutathione is. Right. And, well, they can't see, and, and, yeah. and critical care doctors in this country can't seem to understand how the regenerative medicine clinic at Winthrop NYU has simply used a hundred times more molecular gas pressure of oxygen in 2.0 atmosphere chambers to reverse severe COVID because when you're on a ventilator and you're in an atmospheric environment of a thousand centimeters of water and your, your critical care doc can only push an extra 10 centimeters pressure, that's 1%. Mm -hmm. Those alveoli will burst after one to 2% of extra pressure off the end of an ET tube. And you know, Javier and, and me are in this crowd of hyperbaric, incredible geniuses around the world who like Shia Fradi, who proved that we can actually reverse engineer aging. In November of 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, he publishes it in the journal Aging. And he did a study on elderly individuals and proved in the white cells in our immune system that you can show telomere lengths declining. Telomeres are the internal biological clock of aging. So he takes all these old human white cells out of human living human beings before they get in his chambers, does the standardized genetics work to figure out how long are those telomeres on average, puts them through a hyperbaric protocol, 40, 40 days, well, 30 to 40 days in that range, just like Hartz and I have been using for brain injury for over, you know, Hartz has been using it for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And then pull the white cells again, his team of, of molecular genetics crowd and lab path science guys, look at the length of the telomeres after this protocol and they're shortening. 
So they have technically molecularly proven that we can reverse aging, at least in one cell line, mm-hmm. by hyperbaric therapy. But but then again, when when I brought back Bobby Koska's memories in the fall of 2019 in his mountain home with a soft chamber, it, I was reversing that. aging too. So explain um, Bobby's situation. Well, it it goes it goes back to Hart's work with low pressure, mild hyperbarics in, in his protocol for reversing dementia is only two PSI change, 100% oxygen. Mm-hmm. And he's done it like 15 times. And we, we published the 12th case mm, okay. because we had PET scanning backup. We have PET scans that show nobody in the world can question the statistics in my PET scans. Nobody in the world can say mm-hmm. that Paul Hartz did not molecularly reverse aging in human mitochondria 10 trillion of them in in a brain that was under fire at the age of 58 and going into a rapid onset dementia and i statistically proved it in nearly every quadrant sector and cell of that one person's brain with over 100 hours put into the the stats showing that all these mitochondria were regenerated rejuvenated turned on or even underwent a bioevolutionary situation where the the bad ones died inside the inside the cell so there's intracellular mitochondrial evolution that goes on you have a pool of 200 mitochondria in a cell and when you get to the point where like 75 percent of them aren't just working very well well that cell is now it's kind of like a low battery cell phone it's going to kind of go on standby but when you charge it up and you get the good mitochondria starting to get that energy cycle going again, getting the ATP going again, getting the glutathione going again. So those 25% that are left mm-hmm. are then now replicating. And, wow. and now there's 50 of them. Now there's a hundred of them. Now that we're back to 200 and they also were producing the energy to degrade and decay and clean up and clear house and clean house from all the bad mitochondria. Yeah. That's how this all works. It's very fascinating. Javier, I see you nodding and smiling through this whole thing. So um, it sounds like you've had a lot of experience in this area as well. I mean, what, what I find so interesting is somebody could like lose memory. And yet when you charge their battery, I love that, that um, metaphor there. The memories are still there to be pulled out. How brilliant is the mind that it's storing something and it just couldn't access it. Javier, what about um, HBOT? What have you been seeing? Uh, Well, recently, um, and I think uh, this uh, just got uh, approved uh, uh, by UHMS uh, in their journal, um, um, that uh, in Florida, uh, we, we recently published a study um, with Eddie Zant uh, using where he took in some folks with long haul COVID and treated them. Mm-hmm. And these people were, you know, had the diagnosis, were positive for uh, SARS-CoV-2 and had just a hell of a time recovering, memory problems, all sorts of other health conditions that uh, they were struggling to recover from from COVID. And uh, Dr. Zant uh, did, a, you know, a, a 1.5, I think, I'm trying to remember if it was 1.5 or 2.0 uh, protocol on these folks, yeah. and they recovered, absolutely Fantastic. recovered. 
Yeah. Yeah. And there's um, a couple of people here in Washington state, I know that have HBOT clinics and or HBOT in their office and well, seeing good recovery. This is a war on <laughs> mitochondria. Bless you, mm -hmm. Bernadette. This is literally a war on mitochondria. And it mm -hmm. goes down directly to the molecular level because the spike protein and some of these other proteins that are being intracellularly manufactured, they're going out and attacking the mitochondria right in the cell. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you just you got to use mitochondrial tools to deal with the mitochondrial attack. Yeah. Um, and, you know, um, oh boy, I have a, a couple of directions to go here. Uh, I'm not even sure where to begin. Let's, let's leap over. Since we, you know, at the beginning of the hour, I played that video. And one of the things on the shelf that the FLCCC says to have is mouthwash is gargle. Um, and I find that so fascinating. It's another aspect of very simple, inexpensive science that exists that our health agencies are being absolutely silent on. And yet the studies are showing, in fact, I'll go ahead and share my screen again. I want to show you guys. Uh, let's see, let's go to here. Oh, we got Javier's letter to get to yet. Um, I'll be getting to that in a little bit. Javier, we can keep sticking with us for a while. Um, are you both seeing this study here on povidone, iodine use in sinonasal and oral cavities? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So, you know, this has been known for a long time, but then there's been specific COVID studies that have been done. Something as simple as gargling for 60 minutes and doing um, like a nasal flush with particular products, um, it only takes actually like if you use an iodine product, I think it's 15 seconds to kill any virus in the nose and throat. And then, you know, they know for sure that's, that's what this one says when applied for as little as 15 seconds. Um, and you have different, this one is for the iodine products, which is fantastic. And there's other studies that have shown that, um, is this the one? I've got several, I'm just really starting to go down the rabbit hole on this. And I want to pull together a whole bunch of information so people can go research and make informed decisions. And, you know, like anything that you use, you need to make sure you don't overdo it. You know, you don't want to be destroying good cells or your biome, but even gargling with good old fashioned Listerine works. I don't know why mm. Listerine doesn't have mm. commercials all over the place, unless they are being paid more not to promote Listerine as an anti-COVID agent because they really should be promoting it <laughs> because the studies show it kills 60 second gargle any um, virus is yeah. yeah inactivated Hydrogen peroxide yeah I mean the the basic economics again this goes into a racket this is how racketeering works mm -hmm. the, the 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 entire heavyweight system overweight uh full of sand and grit and just crap mm -hmm. system of medicine that we have now mm -hmm. uh is is about to fail actually because yeah, we it's... can't keep going into debt like this as a nation mm -hmm. and and doing stupid things that cost tons of money when when the answer is a hundred times cheaper like hydrogen peroxide and a hundred times cheaper and a thousand times safer 
Uh, right. you know, and, and then like, look at what, you know, Robert Rowan brought into the world, another hero physician, the guy goes into Africa, takes care of Ebola in the field with ozone and gets run out of the continent. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's the simplest stuff. It, yeah. And, and, and that's where, that's where this entire world is, is, is run by multi multi-level marketing of rackets of insurance of professionals and yep. there's tons of people who are in the in the racket unwittingly having no idea that these these simple concepts are being suppressed hidden and and those promoting them are being chased after because it's disrupting the big boys market yeah and yet COVID, I, I've said this many times, I hate that COVID has, SARS-CoV-2 has harmed anybody. I hate that the response to SARS-CoV-2 has harmed anybody, which I think is much larger harm. However, it has really served to show the corruption and the problems and the mafia of of the medical pharma industry and how it's yeah. completely captured public health. And the way I like to describe it, it's like there's been um, an alien mothership hovering over planet earth and little old people like me and you, and you know, we've been shouting corruption, shouting we need industry reform, we need regulatory reform, right? We've been talking about this, but nobody would listen until COVID. Well, and and now, because the whole medical pharma public health corrupted complex is spending so much energy trying to get everybody to pay attention, it's like their cloaking device has failed. Yeah, and but- people are walking around going, Oh my God, did you know? Did you see that? Did you right. see what they're doing? It's like, yeah, I've been trying to tell you that for years, but now it's this monster. And people who never would have doubted the medical system, never would have doubted the, the CDC or the FDA, they're like waking up going, oh my God. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I apologize for, for my profanity there here, but it's just like, you know, there are terms that's, that's, a, I'm uttering a prayer here, here, people. Um, they but- are seeing. But your, your, your analogy is perfect. And, and it's a death star. Yeah. It's a death star sitting outside of earth and they can and, see it and, now. And, and to be honest with you, this whole crowd that me and Javier are affiliated with, we've got the blueprints for the death star and we know, and we know where to fire there. Oh, Hey, amen to that. Oh, that's what I've been looking for. You know, it's all a scrappy little people against the big monster. And we just got to find those vulnerable points. Okay. Don't tell what they are on air here. So we'll tell after the fact. Okay. <laughs> we've already been talking about it. It's just okay. Mitochondria. Okay, mitochondria. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. We've got it, but see, we've got to educate the people. That's why we're here on an informed life radio, because I give up on our Washington state board of health. I give up on the department of health. I give up on all these co-opted agencies. Now, some of these individuals working for these agencies are good, kind people. I don't think that they're evil. They're caught up in an evil system and they're not breaking free. Somebody gave the most amazing public comment to a board of health meeting recently. You guys would love this. At the end of it, she said, you know what? If any of you want to defect, we will welcome you with open arms. (laughs) Defect. Um, you know, so I give up on them. It's all, we have to educate the people because when the people are empowered with the knowledge, how to save their lives, the monster that is that 
mafia industry. It feeds off our money. They're going to have to go a different direction yeah, to get our money to stay it's alive. It's the biblical problem of usury. And, mm. and I'm going to give you the best antiviral self-replicating ag product on the planet to fight the usury. And I put it in the North Dakota CARES Act grant funding, which I got from probably the most powerful ag commissioner in the land, Doug Gehring, friend of mine, has a hyperbaric chamber in his house, by the way. Cool. And um, this is it, spirulina. Spirulina, if you do a search on PubMed, on our, our taxpayer-funded database of science, and start off with spirulina, HIV, and look at what has happened in the last 20 years in Africa with children born with HIV have been get, getting spirulina supplementation and not pro progressing to AIDS. Wow. This is the ultimate ration for a pandemic. It is spirulina. I have been using this and, and I just sent out a text to 15 North Dakotans who were supposed to get their prescriptions today for ivermectin. And I said, guess what, everybody? We're going to have to just go with spirulina now. Hmm because we have a supply chain issue. Yeah. And I can tell you as a physician who has been look, who has been researching and using clinically in my medical integrative practice in my self-care for 15 years, I had one of my top students who went to Mayo Clinic write up a paper on radio, bio, radio protective agents. And the number one point of this review article was spirulina, spirulina, spirulina. Mm -hmm. And another one of our, her colleagues who's now back here and went to Mayo, did a neurology residency, neuroprotective agency, spirulina is the top of the list of the review article. So NASA is sending everyone in, in those hyperbaric chambers called spaceships. <laughs> they send them up with what? Spirulina, because it can grow. Do they really? It oh, wow. Self-replicate. It's a food source. It can process their own carbon dioxide. It's a carbon dioxide sink. Wow. And then it's producing oxygen. I mean, so, so when you look at any of this NASA funding for biome work and all this stuff that UND is doing at their aerospace centers, mm -hmm. everybody's using spirulina. And then wow. if you do a search on spirulina and stroke, you're going to see actually a couple of COVID papers come up because this, this, this is not a respiratory illness. It's actually a vascular illness and it's causing strokes everywhere it's causing ischemic changes everywhere the heart the bowel anywhere you mm -hmm. have ace2 receptors i'm reading 15 cts a night all over the country with for pulmonary emboli and and mm -hmm. the clots are not big enough in most cases mm -hmm. we have the white out pattern the ground glass pattern on these on these ctas i'm reading it's and it's because it's all microscopic pulmonary micro microendothelial injury Wow. And it's like, then the SARS spike protein is like super glue for the human capillary. And now that we have companies that have, now look at, look at it this way. And Javier, I'm, you're going to agree with me, of course. Uh, but when we have J&J &J and AstraZeneca take a cold virus and put in a spike protein, is that not exactly what some people are saying what ha is what happened in Wuhan? So we're paying for a bioweapon of a spike protein to get engineered, genetically engineered into a cold virus, different species, adenovirus. Oh, good heavens. And now, oh, oh yeah, here. Now, 
Now we're going to charge you money that the American healthcare or taxpayer healthcare systems for a, a Frankenstein corporate virus mm-hmm. that contains the worst sequence of any protein in the history of humankind. Yeah. And it is shutting off oxygenation. It is shutting off God's green earth gas. Good heavens. And, you know, we're running up against the top of the hour. We only have about two more minutes. I'm loving this conversation. So um, I'm, I'm want to find out. So Dr. Ted, are you going to have to go after the break? Or are you going to be able to come back? I do have to go okay. after the break. And I feel badly that I have been, um, you know, in the presence of good old Javier and Hey, he's, he's going to hang out. No, he's going to hang out the next hour a bit with me too. So he, he's got more gab time with me. It's okay. All right. Well, I'm going to leave <laughs> the computer on though. Okay, good, good. So and, um, and I may be able to check back in in a little bit here after about a okay. uh, half hour. So cool, cool. Well, thank you for that. Oh, real quick. Um, the formula, the full formula that, and, and we can give the proportions for this rations that you came up with is spirulina yeah. powder. beet powder, lemon powder, and then the powders of the three amino acids that make up glutathione. Right. And you mix them together, quarter teaspoon. We'll talk about it more after the break. Yeah, You've already published it, but I mean, we're in a crisis and it's like uh, all of Louisiana needs a bunch of spirulina right now. And it should be in every hospital dietary yeah, we need it right now. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue with this conversation. You're listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. 
high above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. Welcome back to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and with me is Javier Figueroa, and it looks like even Dr. Ted's popping back in. We might be able to hear him a little bit. We've been having great conversation about really the answer to all health um, and, and all potential dangers to health, which is feeding your mitochondria, mitochondrial energy, the 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 you need this particular building blocks so that your body can do what it wants to do. It's very exciting. In fact, I, on the break, I ran into my kitchen and I grabbed my little jar of, my screen's not going to show it, of what I'm calling Fogarty rations um, that we talked about at the beginning of this. And so it's my spirulina, beetroot powder, lemon powder, and the three powders, um, three amino acids that make up glutathione. And you just take a little spoonful and let it dissolve in your mouth and absorb it. Fabulous stuff. Um, again, I'll put the recipe a little bit more prominently on our website at informedchoicewa.org so that you can see it and make it and just help empowering yourself. And then um, Dr. Ted was also saying that he just takes that um, just L-cysteine, I believe is the one when he comes back and remind us, was that Javier? Was it just the N-acetylcysteine he had in the bottle that he was puffing the, making the little dust? Yeah. And getting that. That is correct. Yeah. Like right up and into the nose and it just gets in there and does its magic. You know, the human immune system is so brilliant. Clarification. Yes. Go ahead. If you're going to use either version of L-cysteine versus N-acetylcysteine. Yes. N-acetylcysteine smells horrible. (laughs) Yes, it does. And, and when you combine two molecules of N-acetylcysteine together, that forms L-cysteine and it doesn't smell that bad. Okay. You can smell a little bit of sulfur, but it's just not, not much. And this, this is actually, this is the three amino acids plus the, uh, selenomethionine cofactor. Oh, that's right. Because that is pro-immune by, by, okay. Yeah. This is the trade, the Trade name, pro-immune, generic patent Mm -hmm. up in Canada Yeah, that Dr. Crum secured after five years of IP legwork and 
you know, uh, I'm sure Javier can talk much more eloquently about this, but for scientists who are putting breakthroughs into medicine and health mm -hmm. and have, where did he go? Um, well, he's driving, so it looks like he just lost connection, but he'll dial back in. There he okay. is. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so he's home now. But so scientists like like Javier, who are doing incredible breakthrough work in mm -hmm. these very natural solutions to improve our health, it becomes, this is where we also get into a second level racket. It's so hard for us individual scientists who have something that is kind of patentable you know, kind of, it's, you know, this is, this is something that, you know, if somebody wants to go out and do, you know, what I've taught, mm -hmm. Albert's company can't really come after anybody in their home for patent infringement. And he's not going to anyway. I mean, yeah, yeah. but, but the biggies, you know, in, in medicine, they, they come after any way they can, these startup companies, and sometimes when they see that this is actually working, what they do is they buy the startup company so that it doesn't compete with them in their market. Oh yeah, there's a big history. We could do a whole show on on thing inventions, uh, medical interventions that people have come up with that got bought out so that they could just hide them and not use them. Big history for that. So thank you for that, um, Dr. Ted. Is there somewhere to get Proimmune still? Is it still available online? Um, Dr. Crum has been working in a phase two trial with Dr. Laura Lyle. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is on the record. She's, um, I believe, uh, the physician for, uh, Ted Turner, who mm -hmm. has, who has a form of dementia. Um, and I, I told her, you know, uh, what I used on Bobby Casca up in the mountains was pro-immune mm -hmm. and, and mild hyperbaric, hyperbaric medicine chamber mm -hmm. to help improve the neurological function of uh yeah a former minnesota twins baseball player and so so she's been working with dr crumb and they have a phase two trial that has a, a footprint in africa actually as part of it they have a research a physician researcher in africa too with them and um and so and it's basically it's it's a six gram oral dose of the pro-immune Mm -hmm. in an in an outpatient ambulatory setting to prevent hospitalization kind fantastic of kind yeah of yeah and so you can is it proimmune.com do you know the website address i can i can look that up but uh, type in type in three aminos three aminos <laughs> and you'll, three pull aminos. Up, you'll pull up dr lyle and dr crumb's uh website there together okay i'll, I'll look for that three, three aminos, aminos three amigos <laughs> that's funny rah, rah, rah. Like okay um awesome so yeah i keep i'll have to search uh there we go but Come so let's get to, to some javier stuff yeah yeah um definitely but thank you so much for that clarification i forgot that earlier you had said it was that wonderful pro-immune combination and i i need to revisit glutathione i mean we got so caught up in what was going on and and our concerns about vaccine safety issues that were going on i hadn't revisited glutathione and pro-immune and all of this information a long time and it really is essential yeah so javier you you jump on in here and and uh 
You got it. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I think, uh, you know, Ted has uh, really highlighted is the fact that there is no lack of uh, effective available treatment uh, that is low cost. Uh, the only problem is that a majority of physicians, a majority of nurses, a majority of uh, trained clinicians are not educated mm-hmm. in these technologies and these treatments. And again, the loudest and most uh, well-funded um, uh, bullhorn is from large um, groups with sufficient money to basically go out and advertise and sell this to physicians mm-hmm. in, in many different forms in many different ways. So, you know, you're, you're competing against um, a highly organized, well-funded, well-oiled uh, system of delivering uh, products and compounds uh, into hospitals and into clinics um, that, you know, vary in their effectiveness. And then you've got something like, uh, uh, you know, N-acetylcysteine uh, and spirulina and ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, quercetin, zinc, all that, uh, that is, you know, very effective against, uh, prophylactically against COVID. And in many cases, uh, out of, you know, uh, early stage infections and even uh, mid to late state stage infections, it's effective. Now, that in itself should have, uh, in my opinion, should have rendered the EUA null and void mm-hmm. uh, for, for, for the vaccines. But again, because ivermectin has only been uh, approved by the FDA for treating uh, parasitic, some forms of parasitic diseases and some infections, uh, and again, this is a drug that's been on the market for more than 40 years now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there, there is a clause in the... Uh, and, and FDA regulatory affairs that allows for uh, doctors to prescribe as they see fit. So mm-hmm. the stance that you know the FDA is taking, and the AMA and the American Pharmacy Association and all these groups about we were not going to you know it hasn't been shown. There's no randomized controlled trials. It doesn't need randomized controlled trials. Case studies. Uh, observational studies, mm-hmm. the 60 plus studies that are already out on, on ivermectin and the, I think, 45 studies now on hydroxychloroquine um, do show that it, it is very effective. Yeah. So uh, and this is, to me, it is an abrogation of, uh, of the duty uh, of, uh, of the doctors and the overreach of the of these medical associations and professional associations in getting in between a patient and his doctor. Yeah. And it's it, this is allowed to happen and proliferate and because of the equal capture of our major media and the fact that major media staff has been cut down over the years so low they grab stories off the newswire and nobody vets them they just repeat them ad nauseum and there was a a story here in washington state that ran locally i'm sure it was all over the nation and the image on the story was for a package of human ivermectin the actual story kept talking about horse ivermectin and the FDA recommends you don't take it and people are overdosing. Supposedly, I haven't heard of anybody, I haven't heard any real people this happening to are taking like an entire tube meant for a 1200 pound horse, which is absurd, Um, you know, and, but they're conflating the two. And I mean, if, if the news stations just took time to read their own article, they'd realize, well, wait a minute, 
there's humankind and there's horse kind. This requires a prescription by a doctor hmm. and a dosage amount given, right? If this is absurd and it's so blatant, it's like the cloak is completely removed. And I don't know how brainwashed you have to be to watch this and not think that doesn't even make any sense. Yes, Ted. <laughs> uh, a quick point of clarification. Yeah. Um, the horse, the standard horse dose, which every everybody in north in the dakotas and nebraska out in west western nebraska all these rural counties everybody's stockpiling this stuff yeah and um the the actual the horse formulation for 1250 pound horse is it's a 1.87 percent ivermectin and it comes out to be a six milligram dose and so a lot of these studies are actually using a six milligram dose so you're saying the entire tube would was is not excessive it's not. Wow. Actually not. But I like to use it as a hand cream. Yeah. And I've done that on radio broadcasts in the Dakotas just for fun. It's like, you know, look, I, I can go get my horse. Yeah. Some apple flavored yeah. ivermectin and, uh, oh, you know, I've got a little dry skin here. I'm just going to put some on as a little hand cream too. D does it absorb? Is it, is it still pharmacologically yeah. active? Yeah. By so, absorbing scabies, so, so there's a, there's a great paper that just came out like in 2020 for the use of uh, topical ivermectin for scabies and okay. in, in, in pediatric mm -hmm. cases. Wow. I mean, like there's, there's kids all over the world who have scabies who are getting ivermectin. Yeah. Yeah. orally versus transdermally you know yeah. it's a skin issue so makes yeah. sense you might as well just put it on your skin but you can also take it orally for scabies and and this is the other thing you guys much more than 50 percent of all pediatric medicine is off-label mm -hmm. most most of adult medicine is about 75 percent on-label mm -hmm. and so it's like I can use all this stuff off label as a U.S. physician, uh, except when Tony Fauci says, because yeah. you know, Dr. Fogarty, you got to <laughs> pay the piper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so definitely. So people do your homework. You know, we're we're just talking here. We're not giving you medical advice and we're not giving you legal advice. We're just people who've done a whole lot of work. These two brilliant men who've who've got the degrees to show it and the life experience and the work experience to back up what they're saying, you know, and and I just try to be a conduit. I try to, you know, interpret minds like Dr. Ted Fogarty and put it in plain language. And I try to bring people information in a way they can understand understand it and then send them on their way to do their own deep dive. Um, you know, I like to, you know, tell people don't trust the CDC and don't trust Bernadette. You go look up what I, you know, the sources that I'm sending you to, you know, and interpret for yourself and be very, very critical. And only after you do that, do you decide what sources you're going to trust and maybe take shortcuts on. Cause obviously we can't look up everything every single day forever. It's exhausting, but you cannot vet somebody at the surface level. You have to go look. And I, for one, and I know you guys are the same. If you hear me say anything that you find out, you, you know, you've got some evidence that what I said wasn't quite right. I want to hear about it. Because I am, I'm all about learning. Every day I get up and I want to learn something new. I want to be my best self. I want to do things authentically. 
and ethically, you know, I, you know, I just, that's, that's my path in life and, and to, um, and to bring that forward to everyone. Um, I'm, I, I'm going to bring up now a really cool class that we just started. And this is the first I've really announced it big publicly here in Washington state in order for you to get a religious or philosophical exemption um, for school daycare or school requirements, our state requires you to go have a consultation with a doctor to get a, about risks and benefits of vaccination from your child. And then the doctor has to sign either the exemption form or a letter that says, I, I was told about the risk and benefits of vaccination, you know, from a doctor, right? Yeah. Well, it's been increasingly difficult to find a doctor because of the bullying and the coercion and the threats to, to doctors to get any of them to do these consultations and sign the letters or, or sign the exemption form. So Informed Choice Washington as a service to people in Washington state, I apologize if you're listening outside the state, maybe you can start this up in your state. We've started a, a class, um, a risk benefit class that um, I'm giving every Wednesday at 7 p.m. You can sign up for it. It's via Zoom. I, I present information. I don't present all the risk benefit information. I present a sampling of important resources for you to explore risks and benefits because it would take me a year to go over every disease and every product targeting the disease if we really want to do this thoroughly. So I present information. At the end of this hour, people who, the parents who attend, um, they're given a referral to a doctor who will give them a risk benefit consultation and sign a letter saying they have done so. And parents can use this letter to attach to a personal exemption or religious exemption per Washington state law, or they can just frame it and be proud that they had this consultation or they can use it in any way they want. Okay. I just want to let people know out there as school is, is beginning here in Washington state and we're heading toward it more mm -hmm. um, next week. If anybody's having difficulty getting that risk benefit consultation, getting their letter signed, um, Turn, go to Informed Choice Washington and look on the uh, tab for the risk benefit uh, referral. That's uh, huge. Yeah. Bernadette, so, that is a huge and a, a very important communications act and program that you put together. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we just got started. We did like kind of a soft opening, went through it a couple of times, um, you know, had our first couple of referrals. And we have an ever-growing team of fantastic um, healthcare providers who qualify under the law to give this um, particular risk benefit consultation who are signing up. And I'm just so grateful to them because they believe in informed consent, fully informed consent. Yeah. So this is, wow. this is what we're doing. Yeah. It's pretty God cool. Bless huh? you. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, I expect the Department of Health will take a class and I've, I've told them they are welcome to attend, but they have to identify themselves. So nobody can show up with the camera has to be on and their name has to be there. And um, they just got to tell me who they are. So I want to move on you guys to what do you know about? So now we are told that the Pfizer vaccine is fully licensed. It was supposed it was done behind the scenes. It was not done in the way it is usually done. They did not show the public the information that was reviewed. And we know that there are unprecedented numbers of adverse events and deaths reported due to the Pfizer vaccine. 
Um, it does not, per the CDC, does not prevent infection, transmission, hospitalization, or death. They say it minimizes, and perhaps it may in some, but I tell you, everywhere I go, I meet somebody vaccinated who got COVID anyway or their loved one did and their loved ones in the hospital, you know? So vaccinated or not, you guys need glutathione and ivermectin and your, and your COVID kit, <laughs> right? We need that. So, but I don't, I've been trying to make heads or tails. I've been reading various articles about this supposed licensing and it's very confusing. Have, you know, Javier, have you read up on that? Um, let's talk about this. And then I want to get to your awesome open letter. I don't want to forget to get to your open letter. Sure thing. So uh, the federal, uh, the FDA issued a um, uh, an approval uh, for uh, the uh, Pfizer COVID nineteen uh, gene therapy, and uh, basically it breaks down. And I think uh, Bobby Kennedy over at Children's Health Defense Fund did a fantastic review on the legal implications of what that meant. So they extended the EUA, uh, so that way they could the. the Kids twelve and, and above could could get the uh, the, the gene therapy, um, and then it was issued for sixteen and older uh, for the approval. Now the 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 distinction and the, the, the fine wrinkle on it is that uh, they extended the EUA in order to uh, basically cover the existing stockpile of the Pfizer BioNTech. Um, a gene therapy uh, under the EUA. That is, they, their risk is, uh, it, they, they have no, um, uh, no liability associated with it. But uh, they didn't, they only approved uh, Cominarty, that, that is the official FDA license name mm -hmm. that is being used for the, uh, for the, for the COVID-19 gene therapy. The problem is, is that that is not, they don't have manufacturing uh, scaled up sufficiently to provide uh, the, uh, the, the number of shots that uh, they anticipate. So one of the reasons they extended the EUA was basically to push through the stockpile that's already been built up in the United States. So the stuff that's in the United States right now under Pfizer BioNTech is not approved. It's still under EUA. And the, the new manufactured uh, lots that are coming in, Cominarty, that's approved under the FDA. But I got to tell you, it was still rushed. They only did six months of clinical trials before they lifted the blind. And they're still doing the animal studies for long-term uh, fertility, teratology, and reproduction. Mm -hmm. uh, and those, again, we're still waiting to hear what the, what the results are on that. And they now have five, five years, five, five year studies looking at the post-marketing effects on, you know, a number of different conditions, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, cardiomyopathy, uh, all, all the heart associated uh, problems, lung issues, clotting, you name it. They're doing five year on follow on studies that are required now. Yeah. We're losing you a little the, bit uh, there, Javier. Uh, problems that are going to be hey. occurring. Okay. Sorry. Uh, wow. So is, the, that, is that better? The, yeah. There we go. So the general public, though, is being deceived. The media is telling everybody they're now licensed and they're, they've been proven safe and effective by, the, in fact, the FDA called, called it their gold standard. It has been through their gold standard. I bet they and, and nobody is being told that they're, they're beginning five-year 
trial or five-year studies to look at these known adverse um, reactions, these known injuries that are taking place, right. and right. that they are the guinea mm -hmm. pigs, and that they they're they're basically in clinical trials with no protection. So right. is there? So we've got we've got a legal differentiation between the products, but is there an actual formula difference between the products? Let's can go I ahead. Intervene yeah. Because mm -hmm. this is where the corruption goes all the way back to influenza vaccines. Okay. Every single influenza vaccine that's produced every year isn't going through any of this stuff. That's right. Yeah. They're not going through any long-term studies i mean right. seriously yeah. right. every single influenza right. vaccine live virus you right. name it killed virus protein every single one yeah. has never gone through this process yeah. yeah and now we go through this process with this one pfizer formulation mm -hmm. and it's like okay i'm and it would be like if a hyperbaric manufacturing company had a a subsidiary in a different place in a different state that said oh okay well just give us the blueprints and we'll manufacture it over here and it's approved now well yeah yes and no because you're manufacturing that in a completely different place under a different name and the fda is all about labels anyway mm -hmm. how how can you have a different corporate complex a different enterprise and and just slap a new name on it and say oh well it's the same thing it's maybe it's technically the same recipe but if i'm making dr crumbs if i'm making dr crumbs formula in this office mm -hmm. and and saying it's dr crumbs formula mm -hmm. it's exactly the same thing uh-uh no that doesn't fly yeah gotcha and, yeah. and so, so they're doing a switcheroo yeah. And okay. And so the real gray area is I've heard some people say that even if it's a licensed product, once that batch of vaccines begin to, or not vaccines, but I call them, you know, vaccines on this show all the time, just because people understand it better, but, and that's what they're being called, but it is gene therapy. Um, that the um, because they are still a countermeasure, we still have a state of emergency in many states, and it's still a countermeasure that it's still covered under countermeasures protection under the PREP Act. The PREP Act doesn't require the product being um, issued for distribution to be um, emergency use or be non-licensed. Right. So, but then I believe that same CHD article said that they believe that that the Comirnaty Pfizer vaccine will be um, that they are liable for injuries or death for that. And that's why they're not distributing them here yet. And I predicted like a year and a half ago, what they're going to do is do everything they can in order to move it from the protection of the PREP Act to the protective of the 1986 act. And this yeah. is why they're pressing it on yeah. kids because the only way to get under the liability shield of the 86 act is when the ACIP and the CDC recommend the vaccine to children. Yeah. As soon as they recommend it to children, they're under a shield again. Pfizer's got another golden goose and they're good to go. But it, it's unclear. Are they under 
countermeasures protection um, once licensed? And either one of you know, Javier? So the currently, currently they're under both. Um, the batches that are that are out now are under EUA, and Comirnaty is uh, under uh, Prep Act. And I think yesterday, if I remember correctly, ACIP basically provided them a liability protection under Prep Act. So oh, it's it's okay. it was you know this has been going this has been going on so fast, really absolutely lightning speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, FDA usually takes years of review for any sort of new therapy, treatment, or, uh, or, or, or device mm-hmm. to get approval. This has been lightning fast in, in you know, I would say, uh, in, in my opinion, as someone who, who you know, who has uh, worked uh, in clinical trials and work with the FDA, it has been so rushed that uh, there's no way they could have covered all the bases on this in a reliable um, I, in a reliable and, uh, and factual manner. I yeah. know many of the people at FDA uh, that did this, you know, they're trying to do the best they can. Mm-hmm. They're trying to work under tremendous pressure. And I'm not just talking about mm-hmm. uh, the pressure of, of uh, the, you know, the, this pandemic. It's also the pressure from politics, from money, uh, from all these different, uh, different groups that wanted and needed to get this done. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. two top, um, the two top reviewers for, for the biologics uh, recently, re- you know, left their positions and yeah, those were, you know, yeah. Go that's ahead. big yeah. news that the two top people at the FDA re- who overview biologics, which is another name for vaccines um, or vaccines are a biologic um, can you just explain, um, either one of you that, you know, what is a biologic as opposed to a, a pharmaceutical? I'll let Javier do that, but I, I'm just interjecting just a slight bit of uh, levity. Uh, yeah. These vaccines are so you can buy your freedom from these masks. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, the, the, the masks are placeholders. They, they spent the past year, um, getting people very comfortable with having to do something in order to um, acquire access to something. So they just are trading the masks for the vaccines, even though, you know, it, it's fully admitted the vaccines don't protect you and don't stop transmission. Yeah. Do you know how yeah. many wardrobe failures I have in U.S. hospitals? Yeah. I, I, I'm always, I'm always having these wardrobe failures. Oh dear. I wonder why every time I walk happens. into a radiology department. Just, oops, wardrobe <laughs> failure. That's so oops. funny. I love that. Okay. So Javier, what's the difference between a pharmaceutical and a biological? Yeah, I wish, I wish I could give you the actual definition that the FDA uses. My understanding is that biologics fall under the, fall under the category of that it, it's a protein or a virus or a, uh, a cell. Uh, that it falls under the, the the category of a biologic, and biologics basically are you know either derived wholly or partially from uh, an organism, and a virus is considered uh, an organism, mm-hmm. uh, and a protein is uh, you know like uh, some forms of uh, like uh, EPO is a, uh, a, a a protein that that causes the body to overproduce red blood cells. Mm-hmm. And that would be considered a biologic under what FDA. About por- what about porcine insulin? That's also considered a biologic, but now porcine insulin 
developed was developed before biologics biologics became uh, a category. So I don't know if that's been grandfathered or not. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Okay, that there there you know this is something that uh, in order to get I think it was part of a, of a project in order to put vaccines in a new uh, defined category uh, for FDA. And, you know, it happens as, as science evolves and as medicine evolves, you have to review things under new categories. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we're, we're talking about, um, you know, the, uh, the COVID uh, uh, in, injections, the COVID therapies that are being applied now, they're all under classified as gene therapies. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, none of these have ever gone to market successfully. Uh, Moderna has been doing this sort of research for 15 years. It's absolutely cutting edge uh, what what they've done, including the delivery system and Pfizer as well. But they are gene therapies. And again, Johnson and Johnson, they don't use lipids. They use a virus mm-hmm. to infect cells to develop, basically get the uh, the cells to produce the uh, the spike protein on their surface. Yeah. It's the same process after a certain stage. It's just a different way to um, to manufacture it and deliver it. You know, and I want to move on now, Javier, to your letter. I'm going to go ahead and and share this because I, you wrote another, um, this is your, is it the second one we've published? This is the second one. Yeah. Yeah. Open letter to the UW president and board of regents, the Washington state legislators, this time you included and governor Inslee. Um, pretty powerful words that you, you state here. Um, so I'm going to read just a little bit of the, oh, actually, do you have it there? Or can you see this well enough? I'd love your own voice in reading. Let's see. Let's see, if, let's see if I can get it. Uh, okay. sure thing. Yeah. Uh, and I can, I can start if you want right now. Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is my last letter to you. Many of you reading will probably say good riddance. Others, some within the University of Washington, will say at least someone is saying something. These past 18 months have resulted in an incalculable loss to every person in the state of Washington, the United States of America, and the whole world. We are now pitted against one another and forced into taking actions that are against our best interests and bodily integrity. Families and communities are fighting one another over masking and vaccination. This is not good public health policy, but a recipe for strife and disaster. Never in the history of the United States public health have we seen such an occurrence as the one brought forth by the policies against SARS-CoV-2. But others, in earlier times, have seen such an occurrence. On August 25th, 2021, the survivors and the kings of the Holocaust, Greek for sacrifice by fire, or the Shoah, Hebrew for catastrophe, have written a public letter to point out what they see and feel is another Holocaust in the making. This letter was sent to the European Medical Agency, the EMA, and can be found at this website. And then I basically print verbatim uh, the letter that the these Holocaust survivors and their family members uh, sent to the EMA. And it's, it's powerful words uh, that really recount the, uh, the, the, the development of the Nuremberg Codex and the requirement for informed consent the requirement that this not be coercive, the requirement that people can say and stop at any point any sort of medical intervention in, a, in an experiment or even regular medical procedures, that they have the absolute right and bodily autonomy to tell their doctors or their clinical scientists or their, the researchers that are, that are doing the, uh, these experiments to basically opt out, stop, 
and have no repercussion associated with not receiving or stopping midway any sort of treatment that they're receiving. Now, this is something that is, is central to us mm-hmm. as, a, as a nation. And this is something that we fought. I mean, you know, millions of people, not only in the United States, but, you know, France, Germany, uh, mm-hmm. Russia, they fought. They fought to have this. Mm-hmm. They really did. It's a very powerful letter. Thank you for reading the beginning. And I encourage um, uh, listeners, viewers to go to informedchoicelaw.org. You will see a post that is titled uh, open, open letter from PhD to UW legislators and governor. And it's hyperlinked to um, the Holocaust survivors um, letter and information that you will need. It's, this is really where we are. And I, I so admire you. Anybody who steps up like this is, is risking something professionally. And yet, as we've said many times before, we are seriously in stand up or bend over time. There is nowhere to hide now. This is it. This is, we are creating now either a, a tyrannical society that that is completely dominated by whatever they want us to do for whatever reason they want us to do it or we are about to or this is like the greatest learning lesson in why freedom and medical freedom and informed consent are so important i choose the latter i'm a pollyanna i'm a hopeless optimist i believe we're going to get through this not just as a nation, but as a planet, as individuals who cherish freedom and, and can see subterfuge and lies coming from a mile away <laughs> and will forever protect and we will unseat the medical industry that has so damaged our lives and that takes control. I believe that there is a role for pharmaceutical products, but nature first, drugs last, is really should be the way we go. And our public health agencies are not including nature at all. Not a dime is being is being spent. And I've mentioned on the show before that the FDA and the CDC provided to the Verbeck Committee, the um, Vaccine and Related Biological Committee, pre-EUA on these products, lists of adverse events of special interest, they called it. And it listed you know, Guillain-Barre syndrome, myocarditis, seizure, um, multi-inflammatory syndrome, all of the things that have been reported to VAERS by hundreds of thousands. Um, They knew that these were things, and they said, based on the clinical trial so far, what we know about the products, the platforms, and the ingredients, these are the things we'll be watching for. But do you know who they didn't tell? They told this little committee, which only a handful of adv- advocates knew even to watch. They didn't tell the ER workers who would be seeing these adverse reactions. They didn't tell the doctors injecting them or the nurses. They didn't tell the hospitals. They didn't tell your family care physician. And so individuals are showing up at the doctor's office after getting you know, injected with these symptoms, which the CDC and the FDA predicted. And the doctors are like, we don't know what it is. You know, you know, let's try this. Let's try that. You know, it's just, it's, it's really awful. And, you know, I had on my show 
um, on this show. It's not my show. It's Informed Choice Washington's. It's Children Health Defense and Informed Choice Washington sponsored. Um, I, I am the very lucky person to be host of this show. But um, I had a dear gentleman who was on a heart transplant list for two and a half years. And even though the, the vaccines would have been dangerous to his already fragile heart because he refused to get it, they took him off the heart transplant list. And there are liver patients who have done that and kidney, they're taking off anybody off the transplant list who refuse to get vaccinated. And what is happening is so very common that I had here, I just, I had some things I put up for in a garage sale and this woman came to my house and it turns out her sister in another state was um, due for some stomach surgery, very serious surgery. They refused to do it unless she got the vaccine. Eight days after getting the vaccine, while her body is still cranking out spike protein by the billions, they did surgery. It has not gone well. She's been in and out of the hospital 19 times, and she's currently in the hospital. The doctors have been so misled about vaccines altogether for decades, but especially these products, that none of them are stopping to think, no, wait a minute, if I cut open a person whose body is making spike protein currently, how might that impact the outcome? Um, and they're not, they're not thinking that it doesn't even go into their equation. It, it, they're making them get it and not thinking about it. There was that, that, uh, dear young woman, 19 year old, uh, Simone Scott, I believe was her name. Um, didn't handle the first Pfizer vaccine. Well, got mostly better, got the second one and then went into cardiac failure. They got her a transplant heart and gave her this new precious heart that somebody donated and the spike protein attack the new heart. Nobody's even thinking what's going on in her body. Is there all this hyperinflammation? Is the cause of the inflammation still there? This is criminal what's happening. And this is coming from our major university hospitals, yeah. you know, and all the others. Um, so it's Crimes up to us. Humanity. Crimes against humanity. And Absolutely. it's up to us speaking to each other to the public and everywhere we can, where we're not censored. And I, I say thank you to my station, KKNW, for, for continuing to host what is you know considered to be a very controversial subject, allowing me freedom of expression and, and freedom to talk and to have these amazing guests on, because this is one of the last places where we can are really free to have this sort of dialogue. And if I may jump in, uh, a friend of mine who uh, emigrated to New Zealand, he started a show, a radio show uh, in New Zealand uh, in, in, uh, in Christchurch. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was basically kicked off because he was talking about COVID, talking about uh, the problem with the, with the injections. Mm-hmm. And he was kicked off and, you know, he had a, a growing uh, radio show that people were listening to. But yeah. it just went it just went against it. So uh, kudos to to uh, the radio station mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. supportive of, you know, giving you a platform and letting you speak and, uh, you know, exercising your right to right. be heard. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. uh, you, you know, I've never really appreciated my freedoms in the United States and how everything is set up in New Zealand may not have the same protections 
other countries don't. They don't have the same constitutional um, protections or bill of rights or freedom of speech that we do. And we see those slipping away. When we see the White House spokesperson actually admitting proudly to the press that we monitor Facebook and we flag posts for Facebook that we want removed. Are you kidding me? You know, when they're admitting and bragging about censorship and, you know, um, and when they're deplatforming critical care specialists, pulmonary care specialists, mm -hmm. and putting out false information there says we're, we're in very, you know, troubled times, but our side is growing. The thing of it is, is as that invading whatever it is, the, the louder it gets and the more they try to push their narrative, the more they're exposed. We never lose anybody to, us, to our side. I've never heard anybody who had begun to do their own research, who began to read the science and, and listen to the scientific experts um, that are giving the warnings, listening to their friends, listening to the doctors. They never go to the other side and say, oh, gosh, I was wrong. I trust the CDC. And by gum, these vaccines are safe. I never hear anybody go the other direction. Yeah. Because once you know, you know, you might not want to know. You might hate that, you know. And there's a lot of people who fight it for a long time. They get the cognitive dissonance because it rocks your world when you realize where we are. It really does. Bernadette, yeah. I, I just had a brief question to ask mm -hmm. uh, Ted. Um, I've been getting reports or listening to reports uh, coming out of the Los Angeles hospital system in which they've class, they, you know, they claim that the majority of new cases are coming from the unvaccinated. But I've heard reports that basically they only count people that are vaccinated if they received two of the Pfizer or two of the Moderna shots and they're 14 days after their second shot before they'll declare them vaccinated. Is oh, that yeah. something that you're seeing with North Dakota as well, well or in Europe? Uh, I'm, I'm too diffusely spread out across the country um, <clears throat> in my practice through teleradiology. But here's the thing, just as, as molecular uh, scientists, when we're when our tools for our diagnosis are focused on the the spike protein antibodies, and we just gave a a product that is going to generate spike protein antibodies, how do you now discern whether that's an infection or a reaction? Mm. Yeah, I exactly. I've heard it. Yeah, I've heard it said that there are people going in with. Uh, vaccine reactions yeah. and being told that they have COVID that and the, yeah. I can speak to one case in particular. Um, and I won't reveal the jurisdiction, but it's, it's a big state. And there's a 12 year old kid that came in the ER doc uh, ordered a chest film two view chest film and was basically looking for pericarditis and, ethically said, you know, a re possible reaction to Pfizer COVID vaccine. Mm -hmm. And so here's this kid that comes in and I'm looking at a chest film that is not a normal chest film for a 12 year old kid. And, you know, just at least from the diagnostic phenotype, it's this kid has a bunch of interstitial changes and, and, and interstitial changes in our 
radiology medical education for drug reactions, like for amiodarone is kind of what I'm looking at. And I'm just like, well, this is clearly a document that shows that this kid had a reaction and it's actually not the ground glass pattern that I would associate with the actual infection. Can you explain what interstitial is to our listeners? It's that fluid between the tissues? It's actually in in your lungs, there's a lot of air spaces, Mm -hmm. tiny little sacs, alveolar sacs. They look like grapes hanging. And then the vines hanging on the grapes and then even the little stems for the alveolar sacs. And those are kind of the, those are the bronchioles and, and those are the little tiny airway connections. And then between the airway, between the hole that is the tube that's the airway and, and what creates the airway mm-hmm. is, is the interstitium. It's this little, very wispy, collagenous, somewhat acellular tissue that is connecting all of the grape bunches together. Did, that did, didn't they recently decide that it's an organ, that the interstitial of your whole body is, it acts like an organ? Well, the integument is another term, which is our skin, which is um, a word that a lot of people associate. Maybe there's a little bit of a word mix up there, but okay. But technically, the interstitium and the um, extracellular space Mm -hmm. is some people are, you know, in a very progressive way, extracellular matrix scientists and and researchers that are like, hey, you know, this is this is its own tissue, even Mm -hmm. though it doesn't have any cells. It's its own little space where things happen. Okay. And you said in, in, um, so when people get COVID, you said something about ground glass, it tends to infect yeah, that's in a, a way term, that looks like-, like pathologists and radiologists. We all, we all have like these really funny terms for things, mm-hmm. but like when you ground glass on cement with, you know, or in a mortar bowl or something, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a very fine white powdery look. Okay. And that's, and so when people were at the beginning of the pandemic were saying, oh, there's glass in there. No, no, it's this is a linguistic tool for us as radiologists and, and perception artists to say, this is the word we're going to call this pattern. Okay. It looks like ground glass ground into a, a cement driveway. Okay. But you said when somebody's exposed to the vaccine, it doesn't quite look the same. Uh, the damage is different, or the the. Well, I'm again. Okay. I, that was one case. Okay. Where I don't know how many other studies I've read over the last six months, where the ER doc isn't telling me the truth. Okay. Or doesn't even have the gumption to think about it because they're presenting clinically from the human user interface to an ER doc as, well, that looks like COVID. So I'm just going to write, oh, probable COVID and order a CTA chest and look for any pulmonary emboli because we have this thromboembolic problem with the SARS coronavirus vascular infection. And so, so that's where when you get into the big world of informatics and how clinical medicine works, there's a lot of fudge here, mm-hmm. tons. But when we look at this from a molecular standpoint, and when I look at this from what, what evil genius put this together, okay, let's just, and I referenced some of this kind of stuff in my open letter that you published in, back in 2019, Bernadette, about yeah. we, we, we have a national security problem with mm-hmm. other places making 
vaccines as a Trojan horse for prions. Okay. But from this particular situation, let's say the Wuhan thing was. Yeah. And we've got about two minutes. So I just want to let you know. The Wuhan spike insertion into coronavirus. Let's just say it it happened. It was the hand of man. The evil genius then gets it distributed all over the world long before anybody in public health even knows it's going on. You know, I suspect there's people in America that had it in October, in in September even. Mm -hmm. Okay. But now you've got the spike protein distribution agency. Now we've got all that out there. We know that that's a killer protein Mm -hmm. because we planned this as evil geniuses. And then we're going to go have American companies take the spike protein and put them into other virus, cold viruses and make more spike protein. And we're also going to try out this new fangled technology with mRNA packaging our own little genomic machinery, uh, beautiful, elegant idea. And we're going to try that too. And, but what's going to happen now, because if I'm Tony Fauci and I'm thinking like this, what's going to happen now, then we're going to come out with these vaccines and all this stuff. And the spike protein will be getting manufactured by people with the vaccines. And we're going to set up the whole diagnostic community and crowd to start tracking the spike protein. And so that one biomarker is now clouded in the is this infection or is this actual vaccine related spike protein reaction so do you or javier do you see any way possible to devise any sort of test to show whether or not somebody is is actually um having the symptom due to the virus or due to the vaccine they recently received is there? Well, yes. I mean, we could do PCR on adenovirus sequences that would show that, uh, yeah, that's the J and J viral vector that's actually causing the problem. What about for the Pfizer, the Moderna? Well, that that starts getting tricky. That starts getting tricky because then you have to get the mRNA sequence and design a PCR test to see if it picks up that mRNA sequence. So they have, they the, have the, on the spike protein, some of these, yeah. some, they have additional, they have additional protein sequences encoded right. in the mRNA. Yeah. So they have a tail, they have a tail that is an actual signature marker for the spike protein has a tail like flagellin or some other little bit mm-hmm. of right. toxic yep. kind of immunoreactive. So sequence. it's possible to do. And so you can okay. go do PCR testing for that. Okay. And under the right amplification parameters, of course, to say, right. okay, look, this is a reaction that is related to somebody upregulating this one mRNA sequence that has right. this partial tail that we can track with PCRs with the right primer. The, sp- the spike protein itself could be the partial primer, and then right. you build it out, and it's like, okay. and then you, you get the right length for the flagellin or whatever. Okay. The this is this is awesome. So you guys go find the geniuses that you know, or maybe it's you, to devise the test for this, and um, and let's get it out there so we can um, start getting true data. But we're going to have to go. The music is going to be playing T- here in just Hold a on. second. Hold on, natural Quick. immunity. Tdetect.com. Tdetect.com. Natural immunity. T cells. Everyone in Washington already has beaten this. And you, you just need to mark out your Marine Corps inside your body in your T-cells. Okay. T-tech.com. It's a Washington company. 
tdtech.com, you got it. Okay, awesome, you guys. Thank you so much for being on an informed live radio on 1150 AM KKNW. Awesome. Uh, we'll be back next week. Everybody have a great holiday weekend. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.